How do you move past the urgent to the important? I think that's a really good idea, but I don't know that they would let me do that for more than a day. How do you stay true to a project list? How do you transition back? Because that's where I get stuck. How can we hold ourselves accountable in the moment when our brains want to keep doing whatever we are doing instead of what we intend to be doing? ADHD Rewired, episode 140. This is the show designed for those of us with really good intentions, but a slightly wandering attention. My name is Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, coach, and speaker. The website is ADHDrewired.com. We know that starting is the hardest part, so let's get started. But first, let me tell you about this. The CHAD International Conference on ADHD is November 10th through the 12th in beautiful, sunny Costa Mesa, California. I'll be speaking about time management strategies following Ari Tuckman's talk on the science of time. Go to chad.org to register. I hope to see you there. Make 2017 your best year yet by joining the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group. The holiday season is just around the corner. Give yourself the gift of growth and connection. Nothing says I love you like the gift of coaching. It's not diamonds, it's coaching. Join us for the eighth season of the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group. The 2017 winter session begins January 16th. Sign up during our Thanksgiving early registration event, November 16th through the 22nd, and get 40% off the cost of registration. That's more than a $559 discount. Only eight seats will be offered at this rate. Go to coachingrewired.com to learn more and to schedule your registration interview. That's coachingrewired.com. It'll totally change your life. It'll move you forward. It's absolutely worth it. Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired and the fourth and final Q&A webinar that we are doing during ADHD Awareness Month. We've had a really good response to our Q&A uh, sessions that we have been doing and this is the fourth session, so we have a handful of people who are here with us live. Hopefully, we will be able to answer any questions that have not been answered up to this point. Um, so I want to, uh, if you don't know, Nisha. Nisha is going to be joining us once again. She is the, uh, I don't know if we've officially yet come up with a name. It's one of these things that we struggle with for like forever, but um, community manager, I think is what we're going with. Um, she's, uh, so she's here joining us and she's giving me the thumbs up we also have a, a call in number uh so for people who are here in the webinar can call in to make sure that we can hear you and uh, the conversation flows well so nisha do we have questions ready to go and i know that nisha it looks like she just posted the phone number in uh for for the call in in the chat so I'm going to start with Jessica's question, and uh, Jessica has been doing our insurance WTF webinars, and um, 
It's been great. We have the recordings available for you. So if you are hearing this um, on the podcast, those recordings are available at the website. Just go to the ABSGRewire.com. We'll have a link posted there. Um, all right. So the question that Jessica asks is, can you talk about energy management in terms of being able to handle difficult tasks, processes, transitions, etc.? And how do you work with or around times of the day that your energy or cognitive functions have been depleted? For example, end of day transitioning from home to work. So um, you gave me enough questions for an entire episode. Thank you very much. Okay, so... In terms of energy management, you know, something that, that uh, several years ago, I was listening to a, uh, a podcast by uh, Michael Hyatt, and he said something that was kind of a big aha moment for me when he said that the key to productivity is not time management, it's energy management. And I find that to be so true, being that when we have these days where sometimes we are really, really productive and certain things almost are easy. It doesn't seem effortful. And then we have those other days where the sometimes the, the simplest of tasks can seem like this Herculean effort um, is needed to, to get them done if we are even able to get those things done. And I think the underlying variable really is energy management. So when you look at how you sort of prioritize your day and you're planning your day, I do think it is is helpful to look at the tasks that you have um, set for yourself in the realm of energy levels. So if you have certain tasks that are, so I like to use a sort of a four point scale for energy. And um, so a, a number four would be a high energy, high sort of uh, requiring a lot of focus and concentration where one type tasks are things you can kind of do halfway in your sleep, right? So you know, if you have a day, let's say you get a really bad night's sleep, stressed, uh, maybe you're not feeling well, and you know, despite what you've planned for the day, if you recognize that your energy is, you know, at a one, and you have these four type of tasks to do, if at all possible, try to reshift those priorities. You know, so we typically always have cleaning we can do. Um, there are days where my brain is just, you know, I can hardly finish a thought. And those are the days where I will, you know, maybe do some vacuuming in my office, some deep cleaning. Because that, for me, that kind of stuff, I don't really ever like doing that. But those are the types of things that don't really require a lot of brain effort for, for me. Um, so you have to find out what that is for you. Now, looking at the other parts of your question, um, how to handle difficult tasks, processes. Um, you know, well, for difficult tasks, I think to do the most important and possibly difficult things at the start of your day when, you're, when your executive functions are at its highest. You know, executive functions are a limited resource that get depleted as our day goes on. So other things, you know, for me, energy levels for me are usually between 2 and 3 p.m. is where they kind of get, it's the lull. So I also will look at doing um, uh, tasks that are not, um, sort of high level tasks. That's also when I'm really, you know, being intentional and doing the things that I intend on doing. When I actually take that break that I intend on taking, that's usually the time where I eat, 
eat my lunch and I'll watch like a TED Talks, right? So it's, and for me, that sort of re-energizes me because I know it's one of these, I, I have that tendency to just want to keep on working. And so I have to work to stop working. And I think that a lot of us can, can relate to that. And at the end of your day, I find for me that transition home. For, so for anyone who has a hard time transitioning home, I would ask, do you know how long it actually takes you to, to transition home? You know, when you, when you determine that it's time to, to leave, do you think it takes you one minute? Because I'm pretty sure it doesn't. So for I have tracked that myself many times. It takes me about 15 minutes to from the determination of when I need to leave uh, to going home. The one strategy that I've talked about many times on the podcast before is, is I have that alarm set at home, which can speed up my 15-minute transition to about five minutes when I'm frantically trying to get uh, to my home before my alarm goes off, which would then wake my entire family. So I hope, Jessica, that that answers some of your questions. Um, it looks like Anisha had wanted to, to add something to that. I just wanted to add that I find this situation particularly difficult now that I work from home, um, something I haven't done before. So uh, do you have any advice for someone like me who works from home and is already home and needs to switch off work and begin the evening? The, the irony of the conversation, yeah, because um, since I'm, I guess I would be your employer. So you're having a hard time. Um, switching off. And I saw that you posted something about this in the uh, in the Facebook community. You know, so one thought I actually had, Anisha, after reading uh, your post is maybe we should discuss having a, a, um, a time frame in which after that certain time um, that you no longer have to do work-related tasks. And so I think that whether it's, uh, you know, Anisha and I talking and negotiating sort of our, our working relationship um, or any one of you who are wanting to negotiate your work relationships, I think have have a conversation and, and find out what is possible. If your your boss says no, then you're in no worse position than you are from the get go, right? Um, I certainly relate to my brain having a hard time winding down. This is particularly true when we're gearing up for the the launches for the coaching group, and I'm really in full throttle. Um, I, I definitely notice that, that my brain seems to be, uh, overly active and I already have a pretty active brain. Um, you know, my, my, my body might be stuck in the chair, but my brain is moving a thousand miles an hour almost all the time. Um, so I have that, that cognitive hyperactivity. So I think part of it is, you know, developing a routine, being intentional, um, setting reminders about that need to sort of shut down. Um, I know for a while, one of the things that, that I used to do is I used an internet program that shut my internet off, so it really forced me to to uh, to stop. So it's looking at what are the actual barriers that are getting in your way? Is it that you're you keep going even though you kind of want to stop, or you feel like you're trying to uh, stay on top of of a, a backlog? Um, in, in that case, too, the, the response is probably paradoxical, and I think that that. Uh, I know that Jessica could attest to this, um, you know, who, who joined the the coaching group. She just wanted to get to inbox zero and she would wake up at three in the morning at times to, to get to her backlog. And uh, really by focusing on sleep and self-care, finally she became more productive during the day. So Nisha, I hope I answered your question as well as generalizing it to, to others. 
And uh, we can certainly continue that conversation later if you'd like. All right, what's our next question? The next question is uh, from, let's answer, I know Patricia, you were with us in the last webinar, so we'll answer Maria's question and then get to yours, okay? Uh, so the next one is from Maria. Hi, Maria, it's nice to see you here. And if you'd like to join us on video and if you have a reliable internet, please let us know. What is the best time of the day to exercise? I find if I exercise in the evening, it's impossible for me to get up, get to sleep because I feel hyper. You know, that is, you know, most um, exercise researchers uh, suggest three hours is the um, latest amount of time before bedtime where you should uh, engage in exercise. Um, cause yes, cause that feeling of, of being wired, um, you know, it's, so that's sort of what the research shows. Um, so I, you know, I, I think it's good to, to exercise in the morning. I try to do it before I convince myself that I don't want to do it. Um, you know, to really develop that as a routine. Now try different things. You know, my, my colleague that I work with here at, at in my office, he exercises at, at night and that works for him. That actually helps him wind down. So it's like just because, you know, something that works for most people, I say always start with what the research says works for most people. And if you really give that a, um, a good effort over a period of several weeks and you're just not finding that's, that's working for you, then try something else. And I think uh, just to add to your point, uh, something that you've been mentioning a lot in our groups as well is creating a low entry point for exercise that you're not able to get to. I know uh, uh, personally, I have found that uh, that really helps creating a low entry point. Um, so if it's, you know, one hour that you have planned to do and you haven't been getting to it, then drastically reduce that goal so that you can get to it. So reducing that entry point might help you stick to the time of day that you want to exercise uh, during. Absolutely. And, you know, things like... Uh... You know, a common strategy I have, I have heard is uh, to go to bed in your workout clothes. So when you wake up, you're ready to go. Uh, put your gym shoes, you know, right at the side of your bed. So it's it's making it real easy for you to get started. If you have something that you can do at home, if you have an exercise machine at home and you're not working out at all, uh, start with five minutes. You know, it's it's one of these things where you think you're you're you know all fired up now to start this workout routine, so you start at half an hour, forty five minutes, and then you wonder why it only lasts a week or two, you know, because your your body gets kind of angry at you for pushing it so hard that it's causing it to hurt really bad. So if you start at five minutes or seven minutes, and each day you incrementally add a minute or two, you're going to be at a really good cardio zone, way faster than you would think. And you're going to have a much higher likelihood of sticking with it. You know, yesterday I um, I, I shared with my, my coaching group that I uh, was proud to announce that I hit a new low in that I went on, I have this, it's called an elliptigo. It's, basically, it's like a standing bike. Um, it's like a bicycle, but it's an elliptical motion. And I went on a ride when it was 44 degrees out. And there's no way I would have done that if I was just starting my workout routine. Right. So it's for me, working out is a big part of how I manage my my ADHD. And I can definitely tell the difference uh, when I work out in the morning and when I don't. So, Maria, I hope that answered that question. All right. What's our next question? All right. So now we can answer Patricia's question. 
Um, since you found bullet journaling less than ideal, what do you currently use for your to-dos, et cetera? Okay, so a t- sort of a timely question. Nisha and I, uh, we we were attempting to use Slack as a, t- a sort of a, a collaborative tool uh, for our to-do list. And while it's great for communication, it is not great to manage our to-do list. So we, um, I, I gave Nisha the the uh, assignment to research a couple tools and then give me a suggestion. And she had a few and uh, we ended up going with uh, Asana. And we are thinking about two weeks in. And so far, I, I really like it. It's a, it's, I definitely feel I have a gr- much greater sense of clarity about what we have going on. Um, I mean, we, I think currently in our Asana um, sort of project list, I think we have eight or nine different like actual projects going on. Um, each have their own tasks, um, and those tasks have subtasks. And so especially if you're collaborating with others, I think a tool like that is really helpful. You know, I still prefer an analog to-do list method, but if you are needing to, uh, you know, to think about context when it comes to the tools that you use, because it's not about the tool. It's about, is it serving your need? And a big part of uh, the need that I have is to be able to to collaborate and to communicate with others on uh, a lot of the items that that I have. Um, so right now it's Asana. Will it be that in you know a month and two months? I, I um, Nish and I were talking about it yesterday and uh, said we want to give it at least three months before we determine uh, whether or not it's this tool is working for us. It was funny because there was a, a moment yesterday where I was like, oh, I really wish we could, you know, assign it to both of us and not that. And and then uh, Nisha was sort of identifying that that sort of, I think, maybe the tendency that a lot of us have as soon as we find a a, a, uh, a certain feature that the tool doesn't have, we're like, oh, this isn't working for us. But I, I was uh, quick to clarify, no, I'm just, you know, just identifying some of the things that I would like it to have, not that I'm thinking about abandoning it. Um but yeah, so that's what we currently use, and you know, and I still will use occasionally my just the reminders app on my phone if I'm in the car and I think of something, you know, I will use the remind me when I get to work or remind me when I get home, um, and I, and it gets added to there if I have a list of someone tells me about a, a show or movie that they that they liked on Netflix, I have a list on my reminders app titled Netflix that I add it to. So it sort of just all depends on context, the situation that. Um, you need to be able to remember certain things in. But still, even with the things that we use um, right now with like Asana, I'll still take a sticky note. Sometimes I'll take a dry, my dry erase board and I'll write out the couple of things that I got to get done today just to make it more sort of in my face uh, so I sort of help me not fall down any rabbit holes. And I just want to add, um, it's been a year since I did the coaching group. And if there's one takeaway I can you know, definitely say has had a big impact on my productivity. It's not really getting hung up on a tool. Um, I have many notepads around me, many notebooks, um, but most of my tools are, you know, most of, uh, you know, I look at it as there's long-term to-do list tracking, which you can certainly put in one tool if you'd like. Uh, that you review on a regular basis, but on a day-to-day basis, it doesn't matter. You can just pick up any notebook and 
write your daily to-do list. And like sometimes we get hung up about tools and then that gets in the way of actually getting things done. So if you feel like you want to abandon that planner for one day and just use a list, just do it. If it's going to get you moving, it's worth it. Absolutely. And, and you know, utilizing novelty as a mechanism to help uh, our pay attention to things you know if you want to every like 30 days or every 60 days you want to use a new to-do list app because that helps you then do it just make sure that there's a process in place for making sure those items that are still on your your to-do list um get transferred or it's a a process that you you kind of go through and ask yourself for each item you know is this still relevant for me is this still important for me if so that could actually be a good way of actually um, eliminating items on your on your task list, which is a really important part of productivity and getting things done, is eliminating as much sort of excess as possible, getting rid of the non-essential. What is our next question? Okay, the next question is from Callie, and she would like to join us on video. Hi, Callie. Hi. How are you? I'm great. So I had a question about starting and stopping mm -hmm. and it's it's just one of those general questions that you could probably do a whole webinar on exactly but just um it's so hard for me to switch tasks and where I'm having success is putting up a sticky note like I said you know okay I'm going to do this and then the sticky note just tells me no you're not doing that and you said put what I'm not doing up, right? Right, right. Um, the, which the, is brilliant. The note about what you are doing and the note about what you're not doing. Yeah. So it's hard because once I am going and I'm having that success, it just feels so good. It's just so hard to stop. Mm -hmm. And I understand that I have Ferrari brain, bicycle brakes, all of that wonderful stuff. But um, if there's any more you want to tell me about that, I would love to hear it. Sure. Um, so... Anything that you could do that can sort of engineer those those transition points in your environment. So um, one technique that I really am a fan of, and I think we talked about it on a recent uh, Q&A webinar, is the Pomodoro technique. Which is oh, my gosh. I hate that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I absolutely hate Pomodoro. Tell me why. What, what do you okay. hate about it? What I find with Pomodoro, and I have tried it, is every time it buzzes, I just, it just makes me mad because there it goes again and I have to stop and I just sat down, you know? So in other words, that whole idea that I would go and then stop and then, and then I have to transition again. It just seems like there's too many transitions. So it, it's not working for me, at least the way that I'm doing it. Here's what I would suggest, Callie, is that I think what's making you mad is that transitions are hard. So it's not that you're necessarily mad that the timer is going off. It's, it's that like you're like, I, the way I sort of think about it is that my brain, when I have to transition, when I'm not ready to transition, it's like my brain becomes a two-year-old having a tantrum, right? It's like, <laughs> he doesn't want to do it. Right. And it will, it will, it will put up a stink in order to, to stop. But like, I, since I'm not a two-year-old, you know, even though my brain at times has those moments where it's like, it's, I know it's completely irrational to the amount of, of like, that I don't want to stop. I think it, you know, working with an accountability partner and doing this, the 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 stop can be really helpful. And I think one of the things that that I find, Kelly, I, I struggle with the stop too. You know, it's it's I, I so I very much relate to it. 
I know, though, that every time I'm able to really work that Pomodoro technique or take that intentional break, that I come back that next work session um, and I just I feel like a, this perspective on what I'm doing and it re-energizes me. And I, I'm always uh, almost taken back by like, wow, it was, it was only a three or five minute break. And like, I'm like, I feel like I'm back, you know, with full throttle for the next so how do you, five minutes. How do you transition back? Because that's where I get stuck. So okay. the timer goes off. If I tear myself away and then I usually go like making myself some tea or whatever, you know, and then it's like, oh my gosh, I have to go back. And then I go back. You know what I'm saying? Yes, so yes. So I, I just haven't had any success with it at yes. all. So a big part of the break when you're doing the Pomodoro technique is three to five minutes, right? There's really not much you can do in a three to five minute period, which is sort of the point. Okay, right. right. So some of the things that I will do, um, I'll go through my mail, I'll, opening one or two things. I'll throw out the garbage. I'll go mm-hmm. to the bathroom. I'll get a drink of water. I'll do jumping okay. jacks. I'll I'll meditate for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, okay. And then coming back to it, um, and two different things. One, when I am doing the Pomodoro technique, because I know that that when that alarm goes off, I'm like, Ugh. you know, the two year old's like, I don't want to stop. I'll mm-hmm. take a I'll take an alarm and put it on the other side of my office. So actually, I have to get up. But let's just keep going off. <laughs> okay. I bet okay. you're going to say you put alarm on your leg and then it shocks you. That you know <laughs> that there, would there, help. There, well, there is something called the Pavlock. I don't know if you've uh, heard of this. That it's actually it's sort of like a Fitbit type of uh, a device oh. that will actually give you a small electric shock. Um, wow. I have very mixed feelings about it. Um, yeah, I think you have to have a certain mindset about it. The, you know, I know behavioral okay. research. So this real sort of Skinner behaviorism says, well, this is going right. to uh, can't shape the behavior. Retain but we brain. also know that punitive responses tend to result in oppositional behavior over time. Right. I got it. Especially the feeling of failure, which is basically where I've been with the Pomodoro technique is that I've just had so much failure with it that it's hard to try it again, mm -hmm. but because you're recommending it, I'll try it again. And I think what I'll do, the best strategy from what you said is just not to allow that break. Three to five minutes to me is think about all the things I could get done instead just say, short break, then I'm back to it. Yeah. You know, another yeah. thing I, I'll do sometimes, I'll take a quick, a brisk walk around my building. Yeah. Right. And it yep, just, that would help. So and that, that also is helpful because it gets the, the blood flow into the brain. It, it, you know, mm-hmm. Getting outside, you know, also gives perspective, you know, and I think it's okay to also say out loud to yourself, like, it's hard to shift. Like, what yeah, else happened? That's like, right. Like, this is hard. This feels hard. As you're getting up, you know, this feels hard. I can do this. You know, so acknowledge uh-huh. that it's hard, but use that self-talk to kind of push yourself through it. Sounds good. I'll do it. Awesome. I'll try it. I'll email you back when I'm done. Okay? Awesome. Awesome. Thanks. Thank Kelly. you. Yes. Okay. Thanks, you guys. Bye. Thank you, Kelly. Bye. Bye. I just wanted to say, you have, you have like this exhaustive list of masochistic tools <laughs> like the alarm that makes you uh, scan a barcode before it goes off and uh freaky alarm yeah it's, it's a good app <laughs> and and you have to solve math problems which uh and if you're anything like me if you use that alarm have a calculator nearby you'll need it when eric told me about this alarm i told him that the first thing i would do is take that alarm and throw it off the balcony of my building <laughs> because i would be so frustrated if it rang all right, so the next uh, 
person to join us is Jessica, and she's agreed to come on video so we can promote her. We have Jessica Stillwell coming. So, hey, Jessica, let me unmute you. How are you? Hi. I just uh, joined the internet, so if it's a little spotty, I apologize for that. Okay. So keep the keep the question really short if you can, because it's a little spotty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nisha, I don't remember what my question was. I'm sorry. <laughs> this moment is brought to you by ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group. Early registration starts November 16th. Go to coachingrewired.com for more information. Okay, after that plug-in, uh, Jessica's question was, how can we hold ourselves accountable in the moment when our brains want to keep doing whatever we are doing instead of what we intend to be doing. So it's a focus question, which is very, very pertinent to a lot of us. So when you say hold yourself accountable, so, you know, I think there, I sort of have mixed thoughts on the, I don't know if that's what you mean. Is it focus or is it accountability? Because for accountability, you got to tell somebody else, you know, so it's, it's, I think, that notion of, of holding yourself accountable inside of a vacuum doesn't really, like, that's not accountability. And that's just intentions, right? So maybe accountability when you don't really have someone to act as your accountability partner. Okay. So, you know, I know that you are a, a member of the, the Rewired community. You know, even posting stuff in there saying, all right, here's what I'm planning on doing for the next hour. And I'm going to check in in one hour to let you know how I'm doing. Or... Um, I mean, there's been times where I've posted in the, the rewired group way back when, um, or I, there was a day where I was so stuck and I had a client that was coming to my, I had a client that I was meeting in a half an hour and I was laying in bed, I hadn't showered and I just like, I could not even like, I couldn't figure out how to like even move my legs. I was so stuck. Right. And so I just posted this in the community say, I'm so stuck. I need to get in the shower like five minutes ago. And uh, um, I, have, I have a client coming. And as soon as I hit post, like something freed up in me that allowed me to to get up and get in the shower and really hurry and, and get here just on time. Right. So I think communicating your intentions, whether it's with a person individually um, or with a community like the ADHD Rewired community, um, I think is a really powerful thing. I think sharing your intentions with someone is really, really powerful. Um, so that's, I mean, when it comes to accountability, whether, you know, depending on sort of your, you know, if it's with somebody at work, say, here's what I'm planning on doing today. So you have a quick meeting at the start of the day. And, you know, knowing that you're going to want to be able to follow up with that person to, to give a check-in report, um, you know, that can also be really helpful. Did that answer your question, Jessica? Um, kind of. The, I think it's too kind of um, like those frequent day-to-day, -day, like the Pomodoro um, thing is, is a really good example. You know, like how many Pomodoros do you go during the day and every single time one comes up, you know, how like there's that struggle of, okay, I'll just ignore it and keep doing what I'm doing, even though you know that it's going to be more beneficial in the end to stop and take that break. Right. So I think in part of that is knowing the, the, the tendencies and is the strategy that you need a something that needs to be more scaffolded in the, in the realm of do you need a support? Do you need to put that alarm somewhere where you have to get up? 
just this this strategy maybe just came to me. Do you work in an open space, Jessica? So what if um, are there any cubicles in your work area that are unoccupied? There, there are some. Yes. So what if you were to go like go to Walgreens or something, go grab a cheap alarm, and actually plug that alarm into somebody else's cubicle without even telling anybody about it? So like. You're, you plug this alarm and if it goes off, people are like, what the heck is that? Um, I think that's a really good idea, but I don't know that they would let me do that for more than a day <laughs> because we do work, I work kind of in a call center. Okay. Well, there's a, there's a high uh, motivational factor then. It's, it's similar to the, the same thing that I used to get home at night because I know if that alarm goes off, I'm going to wake my family. That's a good point. Um, what if there's no free cubicle near me, which is often the case because they kind of fill up and then free up, get free. So if you have a trusted person that you work with, maybe you can even just set it up there and explain to them what you're doing and tell them if the alarm goes off, you'll give them five bucks or, you know, or something, you'll buy them coffee, you know? So, um, but have it be someone who, who, you know, is, is kind to you and, uh, and you trust um, and approach it with almost a gamification approach say so, you know, I, want, I want to try this sort of strategy we, we, do you want to do it with me and see if they'll be you know, if they'll be willing to participate uh in the the crazy strategies that we sometimes have to use to get us to do the things that we want to do awesome thank you you're welcome all right and uh once again thanks for your uh in- insurance expertise uh definitely check the uh the website for the replays and uh every wednesday at 7 p.m uh central time from 7 to 8 we will be hosting adult study halls to help you get your insurance paperwork done uh, from now all the way through December 8th. All right. Thanks so much, Jessica. And I just want to add that tomorrow, Wednesday at 630 Central, we'll have part two of the insurance webinar, which is going to be in a question and answer format. So Register at uh, the events page, which I'm posting a link to, and uh, join us. Come join us. Um, and if you're listening to this on the podcast, sorry, you missed the Q&A, but we're going to have it recorded. Early registration for the next ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group is only three weeks away. Registration is by appointment only, and only eight spots will be available. Learn more at Coaching Rewired. If you want to grow beyond the podcast and you have a desire to connect with people who share your same struggles, then sign up for the coaching group because it'll totally change your life. It'll move you forward and it's absolutely worth it. If you struggle with your ADHD and you're looking for something that'll help you with that, this will be that for you. It was that for me and it helped me address my underlying issues, not just what I thought my issues were at face value. I joined the group because I have tried a lot of other things and nothing was really getting at what I wanted. I really wanted to just get myself more organized and I did, but I also am learning to accept myself and go a little easier on myself about things. That just has made a huge difference. From the group, I have realized that what's going on in my head is not just me. I'm not the only one. I really did have a pivotal change in my perspective. It's kind of mind-blowing, but it has been a really amazing experience. It stretched me like 
nothing else. This has given me strength and renewed hope and confidence. And I think it's absolutely the personal thing, the personal connections we've made, that we've learned about ourselves and really making that next series of steps really do seem possible. We can improve. Uh, I joined the group because I don't think I've ever been able to finish things. I've gotten more done in the last 10 weeks than I expected to get done all summer. I've made so much more progress than I've ever been able to do. If you are thinking about joining this group, but are afraid it's going to be another ADHD, oh, I started something new impulsively and it did nothing, don't be afraid. We're at the end of the group and we're all still here. We all love it. Would we even do it again? It'll totally change your life. It'll move you forward. It's absolutely worth it. Early registration is by appointment only. November 16th through the 22nd, you can reserve your spot now. Go to coachingrewired.com to learn more and to schedule your call. That's coachingrewired.com. The next question comes from Stephen. He's not on the call with us, but, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to ask his question and I'm going to interpret it the way <laughs> I think it, uh, you know, why, way I think he meant it. He says, how do I make the transition from to-do list to habit forming larger project completion tasks, li task lists? So uh, the way I interpret this question, Eric, is, you know, going from your day-to-day -day urgent to the important, but not so urgent you know, larger project task lists. And I think that's a very pertinent question for many of us. Okay, so how do you get the things that you want to do every day to become habit? Is that, is that the question? The way I look at this question is how do you go from, you know, just day-to-day -day task lists where you're just going, I need to do this, I need to do that, versus how do you stay true to a project list and mm. say, okay, I completed task one, now, now it's time to go to task two, especially when the project is not due in the near future. Absolutely. That's, okay. that's, those are the kind of projects that we trip up on and it comes to the last minute and we have to do all 10 steps at the, on the same day instead of slowly making progress towards the end of the pro project. Okay. So... A couple of things. One, process is a big part of this, is looking at what your process is. So if you're just going day to day, I mean, if that's where you're at, then um, then that's your starting point. I think for any behavioral change, you always want to start with, with where you're currently at um, and then look at where you're trying to go. So if you have a project that you're working on and it's a high priority uh, project for you, um, there will, let me recommend the book, The One Thing. It's a, uh, it's a really good book for help, helping with prioritization. There, he talks in this book a lot about uh, a, a uh, technique called blocking, um, where you have, a, say, an hour or two hours of, your, of the first part of your day where you are focusing on that one thing that is really important to you. So you're working, you know, for an hour or two on that bigger, that on that long-term project. Um, because even if you don't know what the next 10 steps are, let's say, you know, that you have this really big project that has 10, 20, 30 steps, and you have no idea what the, all those steps are, but you know what your next step is. And you know that there's 30 steps ahead of you. You just don't know what they are. 
keep scheduling that time to take that next step. Because when when you take that next step, then you'll see what the next step is. Um, And I think that's one of the things that trips us up. You know, we we hear like from uh, I think it was Stephen Covey said, you know, begin with the end in mind. And whenever I heard that, I was like, that sounds great. How do you do that, right? And and I still don't necessarily know completely how to do that. But I know sort of how to fill in the gaps. I know how to sort of go to the end and I know how to back up to the couple steps before that. And then I try to fill in everything else as sort of I go, giving myself more time than I think I need um, is I think a really important um, uh, part of any short-term or long-term project is um, is padding your, whether it's your day or padding the time you're allowing for an entire project. Um, nothing will be, uh, will take us the amount of time that we think it's going to. It's going to take us longer almost always. Um, and the bigger the the project, the more steps that are involved, um, the more margin of error there is on time guesstimation. Um, so I think that, you know, to going back to your question, how do you sort of make that into a habit? The habit be- becomes putting time into um, maybe reviewing a, a bigger sort of project goal, all the things that need to come with it, ha- including that in your planning process, whether you do that in the evening or you do that in the morning, spending 15, 20 minutes every morning or evening, whenever you do your planning, reviewing the stuff that's on, that's coming up further down the road, the, the bigger projects, um, and then um, adding that and including that in your sort of daily planning process. So I hope I answered that, that question adequately. And I'd also like to add, Eric, I feel like uh, before we go about the process of planning, it also helps to reflect on your day and really ask yourself, in what zone did I spend my day? Was I just doing the, the bare minimum urgent stuff or did I contribute to my bottom line in some way? Um, and many times that brings up uh, you know, important clues about where you need to be spending the next day. So that really helps. The next question came in during registration. Uh, This is from Robert. Uh, Robert's not on the call, but we can answer this question. He asks, uh, can you talk about the willpower budget? Um, I'm not sure what that is, so I'll let you go. Okay. Um, So the the willpower budget, it's it's been called a lot of different things, your your cognitive budget, your... uh, you know, it's, it's, what this is is about executive function, right? Willpower, I forget who, who said this, uh, willpower is not on will call, right? It's a limited resource. You know, willpower is not a character trait. We're talking about neurological processes. You know, it's when we are, are well-rested, when we know what it is that we need to do, when we understand a process, um, our willpower is going to be higher. When we're motivated, when we're interested, these are all things that are going to help um, increase our the availability of that willpower resource. You know, we, nobody has unlimited willpower, okay? The challenge with ADHD in, in a lot of ways is that it is a, there's a lot of, of inconsistency with the availability of our willpower. The, I mean, willpower is really the our ability to do what we need to do over what we want to do. It's that ability to look at the long term um, and focus there and growing there over what's right in front of us. It's that 
um, that being able to make that decision about what we doing the thing that we want most over what we want now, right? So when we're thinking about willpower, we're also, we also need to be thinking about what are the things that we could be doing to support our executive functions. You know, planning, having um, our, a review of everything that we're doing, those are things that are going to help our, our willpower. Live by the notion that you're going to forget everything. Because when you do that and you begin that, that habit of writing everything down, that's going to help you, rem- you not deplete your willpower. Um, you know, this, there's this idea that just because you can remember something doesn't mean that you should remember something. Right. Write things down. I mean, I if I'm going to the store to buy one thing, I bring a list, even if it's just for that one thing, because, you know, I have to then inhibit, you know, depending on the store, a hundred thousand other items. Right. I not good at doing that. So I will I I will bring my list of one thing. I put it on a sticky note then I put that on the cart. Um, I mean, I've done crazy things like I leave my keys my ignition on in the parking lot so it makes me hurry um i don't recommend that um but i've done things like that which also in a sense increase the willpower because now i'm like you know running to like make sure nobody steals my car you know so it's thinking about what are the ways to again engineer this this willpower to uh give it more strength but the things that i think are um when we look at at our willpower um, the things that are going to be that are going to deplete it the most is not getting enough sleep, stress. So if we are, you know, if we're working 100 hours a week, like your, your willpower is going to be depleted. So it's, you know, this is a lesson that I'm continuing to learn and I've been learning over the last few years is sort of that paradox of, of work is that if you have so much to do, that does not mean that you should just add more time where you're working. Um, so sleep is incredibly important. Um, exercise is incredibly important. Also, we know that when you use strategies, you also help increase the capacity for greater willpower. Um, that being said, when you stop using the strategies, that capacity then also decreases. Illness is going to decrease willpower. Drugs and alcohol are going to decrease willpower. Not having a supportive environment of people around you is going to decrease willpower. So um, even decision-making, you know, simple decision-making, like, you know, what do I want to wear today? Like, if you don't have to make that decision, if, you know, the, the idea of having like a uniform, um, you know, I think is a, is a brilliant idea. You know, you know, for me, I all my clothes are basically in the, the same color scheme. So because, first of all, you have very little fashion sense. Um, but the other thing is I don't want to have to think about, oh, what do I wear today? It's just like I grab the basically the things that are nearest to me and I, and I throw them on, right? It's It's – I don't have to think about it. And every decision that you make is going to deplete that your, your willpower. Um, you think about the things in the morning. Every time that you have to initiate a task, you have to transition, you have to um, uh, manage time, you have to uh, identify, oh, I don't have time for this. I've got to stay focused here. All of those things deplete willpower. So we want to think about this is where, where the, the, so the holy grail of routine is when we when we can do things more automatically because we because we don't have to make decisions for everything that we do, those are ways to re, to preserve that willpower, which is a limited resource. Thanks for the question, Robert. What's our next question? 
there was a follow-up question on the chat, and I know you spoke to it. Let's address it specifically. How do you move past the urgent to the important? Have a tendency to ignore the important and only respond to the urgent. It's a great question, and I know a common challenge. And I had a realization just recently that I had been, I think, doing the opposite, where because I know the value of the important, um, because I know that focusing on the important is going to uh, really multiply the things that I can do. It's going to save me time in the long run um, by focusing on system development, by focusing on more of those long-term things. And what I realized is that I was ignoring certain things that um, I really needed to be paying attention to because of how I've learned to sort of value the the important over the urgent. So I think one thing to know is that even in this realization, no no fires were created, like nothing really bad happened. Um, there were some emails that I, uh, that I neglected and then later followed up on, but like nothing bad happened as a result. And I think that's, you know, the, the, the lure of the urgent is that it's right in front of us and we tend to know what needs to be done in that moment. And so there's something that's satisfying about that because the important looks at things that are typically more long range um, time horizons. And that's harder for us to, to really conceptualize. Now, you know, I, I know I've said this before, but I think that sleep is one of the most important things that we could do to make sure we're getting good sleep um, in order is a way to help expand that time horizon, that way to help us see the, to be able to work on those things that are important. I know for me, when I am, two things I noticed that with the, with the combination of medication, sleep, uh, and, and exercise, the difference for me is I can see into the future versus I can just see what I have to do today. Because I still go back and forth having those those days where I'm, you know, not sleeping well, I stayed up too late playing some video game and despite knowing that I shouldn't be doing that, right? So I know the difference and I can see the difference because I think about this stuff all day long, so what I do professionally, I'm, you know, very sort of introspective and where I can really see that the primary difference is when I am taking care of myself, that the focusing on self-care I have the ability to see into the future. I mean, I could see one to two months down the road fairly clearly when I'm sleeping enough and when I'm exercising and when my, when my medication is right. So I think that's a really important piece of it. So it's not just necessarily about learning these skills or the strategies on how to focus on the important, but also understanding it's the all those supporting factors around that, that self-care. Are you taking care of your, your mind and your body? because that is going to help us do these things. It's not about staying up late to finish our work. I, I don't know about the rest of you, but I've, I've tried that. And every time I try that again, it's like, oh yeah, that doesn't work. You know, so we, sometimes we tend to be slow learners on some of these things, but I think if we take a mindset of curiosity and self-compassion, um, we'll get closer to the improvements that we're, we're trying to make and make those, those incremental improvements. But I think from a strategic level, blocking time to work on the most important things first is, I think, one of the most important things that we can do. And you have to communicate that to other people who, who may uh, be depending on you. And if people are 
currently used to being able to interrupt you, um, you know, if they're used to you responding to them right away, you may have to communicate with them uh, that I am going to be unavailable from, you know, from this time to this time. So I hope that answered that question. Do we have another question? Um, at this point, we don't have a, a oh, right. Someone uh, has a question. Uh, Kimberly asked, So by no, you um, mean yes, we do. <laughs> no, it was no when you asked the question and then suddenly someone uh, sent me a message on chat. So Kimberly doesn't want to come on video, but uh, she has a question. What is important to remember in starting with a new therapist, ADHD specialist to say and do? This is a really great question. And I actually just had a conversation with a, a client about the, that uh, this morning. Okay, so what is important to remember when starting with a new therapist? One is to give that therapist time and, and give yourself time to, to get to know that person. We know from the research that, you know, yes, certain clinical sort of approaches are very important, but the relationship you have with your therapist is probably one of the most important things that's going to determine successful outcomes, right? Now, I'm a very science-minded person on, on my approach, right? But if I'm working with a, a clinician myself as a consumer and I'm just not jiving with that person, it doesn't matter if they are following that clinical approach to a T. Like, if I don't feel connected with that person, like, it's it's not going to work for me. Um, I think this is also a, the, the other part of this question, I think, is when you're starting to work with a new, uh, new therapist um, or a specialist is one, you know, think about the fact that when we show up to that appointment, there is a really good likelihood that all the things that we've been thinking about leading up to that appointment, we are going to forget the moment we walk in that, that uh, the office, right? So have a list ready to go of the things that you want to talk about. And, uh, and this is true for whether it's an ADHD specialist or any doctor, because um, I'm amazing at forgetting the things that I want to talk about uh, during during those appointments. A little strategy that I use is when I know I have a, any kind of a doctor's appointment uh, coming up, I will add that list in the notes of my calendar uh, for that appointment. So I know it's all right there. Um, so the other thing I think is, you know, find out about approaches, you know, if uh, um, and see if it aligns with you, you know, things that I would, I guess, just be precautious of is um, someone maybe who, as a specialist, says, you know, they don't believe in medication, right? Like, because, I mean, I don't care about your belief system, but science shouldn't be one of them. Um, you know, that's that's science, Right, so the idea of not believing in medication would be a big red flag to me. Um, the uh, let's see, um, you know, just try them out and see how you feel. It's sort of discouraging statistic, um, but one that I think is important to know. So people who are seeking help maybe for the first time don't give up too soon, and it's that most people have to see five different mental health professionals until they find one that they feel is a good fit for them. So, um, which, you know, presents all sorts of challenges as for us with ADHD, because, you know, if we may finally make that appointment after thinking about it for who knows how long, 
Um, and we realized that, you know, this isn't a good fit. There's a tendency to say, you know, well, uh, I don't want to go through all that work again, so I'll just stick with this. And I'll tell you, I've been guilty of that myself, right? And it's like, it's it's maddening. Um, but, you know, I would say if you can, interview the person, try to talk to them uh, ahead of time. And and trust trust your gut, but give it a minimum of five to six sessions, I think. That's, that's my personal opinion. Great. Um, with that, we're at, we're at 1.30. So we've hit our one hour mark. Um, do you have any anything to wrap up this session with? Uh, sure. Um, so this is, as I said, this is the fourth and final Q&A webinar uh, that we were doing for ADHD Awareness Month. I believe this episode will be out in the beginning of November. So um, coming up is the uh, the Chad International Conference on ADHD in sunny Costa Mesa, California. I will be presenting there. Um, the the presentation that I will actually be doing there, we're going to be doing some webinars coming up. So go to erictivers.com slash events to, to register for those and to find out the dates and times. And um, and I have officially announced the dates for the next session of the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group with early registration uh, being just around the corner, right after the CHAD conference. Um, it's right before Thanksgiving. That's when it ends. So it's November 16th through the 22nd. And... I'm pretty proud of myself because I wasn't looking at anything at that moment. And I remember that um, after I write it like, you know, 50 times and, and I, it sinks in. Um, but we're doing a uh, you can register for 40 percent off the full cost um, of this group. Every one of these groups uh, fills up. We are now so with the eighth set season of this group. We've now had over 100 people who have registered and have been through this group. Um, we will once again be doing two sessions. Um, and you know, Nisha, maybe we can talk for just a moment about one of the changes that we've made in this, uh, in this current session. Cause I think it's been, you know, I think that the coaching group is, you know, every session I think has gotten better and better. And I think with the addition of you being part, a real active member of the, the group, it is, I think it's become like the, the, the Cadillac of coaching groups because, you know, I, one way I refer to Nisha now is the accountability queen because in the group, if you state an intention, she follows up with you whether you like it or not. Um, so I have Nisha in, in all the sessions, which just added such an element of uh, really focus on detail. Things don't go by the wayside. And it's, you know, Nisha, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm always floored that you're not like a trained coach or therapist because the comments that you make and you add to the group are cause me to, to pause and think. And I'm just like, wow. So, you know, this is some, you know, having this should be part of this, uh, of the coaching group, being at, at all the sessions and being very active in the Facebook group and in the, in the private messaging that we uh, do as part of the accountability partners has really just added an element to this group that I just think is, is um, for me, it's almost better than I could have imagined. And this is exactly what we're going to continue to be doing with continued uh, improvements as this group uh, uh, continues. So it's been uh, it's been amazing, Nisha, working with you. Um, Nisha, anything that, you. anything that you want to add uh, to that? Yeah, um, of course. I mean, I've uh, I have to say, uh, you know, being part of the sessions has you know it's it's become a great uh, you know start and end to my week. 
and uh, I enjoy working with people. So I uh, like I like that I'm invested completely in them, which is what makes me follow up with people and ask, okay, how is that goal going? How are you learning that technology you wanted to learn? Um, and I really enjoy that. Um, another change that we are making, we, we have made this time around is uh, doing the accountability partnerships all the way at the beginning, asking you uh, more uh, you know, structured questions around what type of accountability you're looking for, what type of goals you are looking to achieve. And that helps us match you to a better accountability partner. And I know a lot of people have come back to us and said, wow, I can't believe I got matched with this person. You know, this has been great. So, uh, you know, we, we're co- continuously improving this program um, and we're trying to make changes that add value. And, you know, the, the thing that makes this possible, though, is because Eric is open to feedback. Uh, sometimes, you know, he's uh, sometimes I tell him he's too open to feedback, you know, and I'm a feedback uh, junkie. I can't help it. It's, it's what right. fuels growth. And it's like when you, when you go from a place of constantly being late, constantly being disorganized, constantly forgetting, and you kind of crack the code and figure out how to do this, and you go from success to success um, by sort of failing your way there, it's, it's, it's exciting, and I love it. And the only way to grow really is through feedback, and I find the best kind of feedback that we get is the kind that we ask for, not the kind that is being sort of shoved down our throat that we didn't really ask for. So, and I think that's what this this group really uh, provides is, yeah. is a warm, supportive environment where you can grow and get feedback. Right, and if, and you know, with uh, with Eric, uh, you know, what, something I've noticed about you is it's you don't bring your ego into the game. And uh, I've worked for a lot of people, and this is the most grown-up work environment I've had, where we discuss feedback and we actually use it to improve ourselves. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we're we're continuously making changes. I have no doubt that we'll keep pushing forward and adding more value, adding changes to the group. Um, So, yeah, we really hope you'll come join us for the next round. Look forward to seeing you. Thank you, Nisha. And thank you, everybody who joined us for one of the uh, our our ADHD Awareness Month Q&A webinars as uh, as all of you know who listen that ADHD awareness month is every month um, because we live it every single day so I I really hope that you found this helpful I hope that you continue to find uh, the weekly podcast helpful as uh, there's absolutely no end in mind you know we're going to keep pumping out episodes week after week if you've been listening for a while We'd love if you would leave a review on uh, on iTunes. It really does actually help people find this podcast. And I'm also looking for guests. So if you have a story to share or a uh, something that you want to, uh, maybe an area of expertise that you have to offer, let me know. You can contact me. You can go right to ADHDrewired.com, and there is a, a link there that says be a guest. And uh, schedule a 15-minute pre-interview call with me. And um, we will then go from there. So thank you, everybody. Have a great Halloween. You're going to be rewarded for all of your your focus of an entire month of ADHD Awareness Month by getting to dress up and then take your kids' candy. Have a great one. This has been Eric Tivers, and I want to thank you for listening and congratulations for making it to the end. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. 
The website is ADHDrewired.com. You can find summaries and additional resources for each episode, learn more about the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group, and more. It's all at ADHDrewired.com. Don't just be a passive listener, be an active member of the community. Submit your request to join our free and growing community on Facebook. Watch for a message from me on Facebook because I screen everyone before they come in the group. Podcasts do change lives. You can make a difference in someone's life by spreading the word about this podcast. Share it online or share it with a friend. If you're a member of Chad or any other ADHD support group, let people know about this show. And if you really loved this episode, please hit share on your podcast player. One of the biggest things you can do to support this podcast and help other people discover it is to leave an honest rating and a review on iTunes or Stitcher. If you can't figure out how to do it, message me on Facebook or through my website, and I'll be happy to walk you through it. Looking for more ways to listen and learn? Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at Audible by using my affiliate link at audibletrial.com slash ADHD Rewired. Not sure where to start? Start with Brene Brown's The Gift of Imperfections or her six-hour recorded workshop, The Power of Vulnerability. This is Eric Tivers reminding you that when you spend time to plan, you will save time that you could spend later. Until next time.